Welcome to Hawkeye's History, your favorite weekly-ish podcast where we talk about all the sexy and salacious stories that you never learned about in high school. I'm Belle. And I'm Ellen. And Belle, I'm nervous to ask you this because you told <laughs> me I may hate or love your topic, but what is the hot mm-hmm. gossip this week? Um, so usually I ask for input from people before I pick a topic, but this was very impulsive and I'm, I rolled with it. So here we go. So Ellen, what do you think of when you think of cannibals? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I feel like I think of like Donner party of five. Mm -hmm. I think about like, if I'm stranded on a desert Island, like who am I going to eat first? Would I be able to eat my friends? Mm -hmm. I think if you have to, you have to, but then also like it makes you crazy. So I'm hoping that's what we learn about today. So that's only if you eat someone's brain and that's not the topic of today. Uh, (laughs) Prion diseases are uh, one of my favorite topics in Don't biology. Don't you get the shakes? That's only only from the brain. That's that's Kuru. Um, if you, I don't know. We've talked about Ellen was a fisheries and wildlife major. <laughs> I was a biochemistry major, and clearly, I have many a morbid curiosity about my brain. But yeah, I would happily talk about all those things sometime. Um, it's not really <laughs> the focus of this podcast. I feel like if I don't even know, you guys can start. So I guess what you think, regardless. Um, are we going to talk about what you think people taste like? No. Does that come up in this episode? <laughs> no, it actually does not. Um, so, okay, well, first of all, Ellen, we're a history podcast. We did talk about this. So there is that. Um, <laughs> for a little kind of reference here, in 2001, and I'm going to try to... Wait, that's recent. We're talking about like recent cannibals. I said for reference. Okay, okay, okay. I'm too excited. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, so for reference, and this is some German names. Uh, Hopefully I'm going to get these right um, or close enough. So a man named Armin Mavis, Mavis, Uh, my German TA, Chad, is screaming if he's listening to this, but Chad, you're a fuck boy, so who gives a shit, Um, posted an ad on the internet. looking for somebody uh who wanted to be killed and eaten mm-hmm. i'm sorry what yep do we have like the wording what did it say i don't have the actual posting um i didn't really go again this is not not the subject topic. however okay, not sure. this is just again for reference and you'll see why this is important yeah i wasn't really about to dive into german court transcripts but a man named Bert uh, responded uh, and he was willing to be to be eaten after death. Uh, as it turned out, Bernd killed himself and he was then consumed by Armin. So after this happened, the German legal system was like, well, shit, because in Germany, cannibalism wasn't actually illegal. There were no laws in the book discussing the illegality of eating somebody and they had a video a video foot video footage of bound himself saying that he consented to being consumed after death and he himself he had killed himself right so there was no right. it wasn't right? like murder on the books it was literally nope. just he i'm gonna eat him 
still though, this is pretty horrific, right? And clearly this is sus. So initially uh, they had charged Armin uh, with assisted suicide, but that has a very short term limit in Germany and everywhere else. Um, and the German public was like, uh, no, what the fuck? So then they revisited this thing and they were like, okay, uh, we are charging you with murder for sexual gratitude. Okay. And like he coerced him to kill himself because so, clearly the victim yeah. was mentally ill and this was a sexually motivated crime. Okay. So this is the modern sort of context that we have Okay, like, do, does the U.S. have laws about cannibalism? Uh, I guess a no, it's state by state. When you're saying, like, a, like, an ad in the newspaper, all I can think about is the pina colada song and being like, if you it, like oh my God. pina coladas, but more like, <laughs> if you like being eaten. <laughs> and slicing your own throat. <laughs> I think that's how they kill themselves. I don't really remember. Anyway. The German public is pissed that, you know, he's just getting this basically small sentence of assisted suicide because, as we oh, know, in general- I thought you were saying, like, they were pissed because they're like, that's, like, an overstep of justice. You're saying, no, like, he should be, they want him, like, put yeah. away forever. No, no, no. They were pissed. They're oh. like, this is fuck the fuck up. Because in general, assisted suicide, as we know, and also in many countries, Switzerland, specifically, and in Oregon- assisted suicide, position assisted, right? Yeah. It's legal and it's considered a humane, right? Death with dignity. Yep. Um, and in general, especially more and more, and there's been kind of an ebb and flow throughout history, um, assisted suicide tends to be just despite, you know, the Catholic church and other, you know, religious beliefs, typically assisted suicide is considered like a merciful crime, right? Um, yeah, you are helping like you're taking on the burden for somebody that you clearly love and care about to end their pain and suffering. It's assisted. Right. They right. So and then again, there's some gray areas there, of course. Right. They're like, was he coerced into this? Right. Like he clearly facilitated. Right. Balanced suicide. But yeah. Right. So that's but the German public right. is like, this is fucked. Right. Because you would and love to charge different with- because the it's not like the guy came to him saying like, I'm, I'm suffering. I would like your help to like end this. It Absolutely. Was being, like soliciting and saying, exactly. Okay, I'm looking for someone to die. Well, yeah. And again, like there have been like, reverse scenarios of somebody soliciting, you know, partial cannibalism. You know, that was a thing, I believe in Japan. Someone wanted, or is it Taiwan? Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere in Asia, a man auctioned off his penis. He didn't want it anymore. And that is the cold open <laughs> to a very different episode. Um, to you our dear listeners, like snack. <laughs> I, oh no, parts of this, I'm like, ooh, and parts of this, I'm like, Ugh. and I mean, the it doesn't like bother me so much. Like, I think it's really good to be uncomfortable. Um, like, I don't know, life begins the end of your comfort zone, which I think is a Chris McCandless, not Chris McCandless. What the fuck is his name? Mitch, Mitch album quote. Regardless, my sweet listeners, I'm so, so sorry that this is a very long ass cold open. I promise we're getting, I'm burying the lead, but we're getting there. I promise. Regardless, uh, German public, they are pissed that this is the thing. And again, like there's just no law. They're like, what the fuck can we charge him with? Mm -hmm. Right. 
that's a lot of times in felonies and they can't charge, you know, somebody with like a big crime. They don't have evidence. They'll charge them with like a gajillion accounts of like lying to police or like transporting yeah. some random shit. Right. I feel like people here in the UK are like obsessed with the concept of jaywalking. And that's what I like think of jaywalking. Yeah. As. Like the only time that you're actually ever going to get like a ticket mm-hmm. for jaywalking is if like you're a mob boss and we're trying to like pin you on something. Yep. Like I feel like that's the same thing. Well, that's like, you know, Al Capone and tax evasion. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the little shit. Yeah. Conviction by a thousand cuts, if you will. A thousand jaywalking <laughs> tickets. They're pissed, right? And now um, Armin is uh, in prison essentially for life after this crime. Um, like I said, they ended up charging him with uh, murder, I believe, for sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, that was the translated offense. And again, like murder through coercion or suit through coercion is considered murder. Um, I don't disagree with that. So, um, like, because clearly the you know the victim was not of sound mind in the way that there were other things that went on. And I believe he was intoxicated at the time. So this is, you know, a very interesting incidence of cannibalism today in Europe. But I want to talk about cannibalism in history and Europe and in a way that you probably haven't really thought about before. So the term cannibal actually comes from the late 1400s when our least favorite dude bro, uh, Christopher um, Kadikwad Columbus, was adventuring around, um, <laughs> lost as fuck. Uh, and he wrote in his diary about um, a Caribbean tribe called the Cannibales, who were rumored to be cannibalistic. Oh, is that where we get that? That's where we get the mm-hmm. term. Yep. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's really interesting because like, even though he's clearly a fucking idiot, he didn't actually believe this is true. And it's likely that they weren't actually cannibalistic. But regardless, oh. uh, the name stuck. And I love the fact that of many of the papers and articles that I read about this, which I will list at the end of the episode, um, <laughs> they called it, this is a cannibal was a quote unquote, a sexier term than the proper academic word, uh, anthropopho- it, anthropophagi anthropophagy anthropophagi phage meaning eating and anthropo meaning people right human eater mm-hmm. anthropophagi cannibals or anthropophagus a cannibal okay okay because of this right um european depictions of cannibalism have been heavily influenced by othering since the 1100s mm-hmm. and like you're saying right when you think of that when you think of cannibals you're not thinking about like some random guy posting on the internet you're thinking about like the donner party mm-hmm. right or the plane crash in the Andes you're thinking about you know or those specific things right or like Kuru but this othering has been happening really since that time despite the fact like I said that cannibalism in Europe has been around for thousands of years and actually hundreds of thousands of years in fact in 1994 during the Spanish Civil War soldiers accidentally discovered the remains of a 12-person family of Neanderthals who had all been skinned and eaten by other Neanderthals approximately 50,000 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yup. And I get it, right? You're thinking, we're homo sapiens, not Neanderthals. Well, we're all humanoid, kiddos. We're, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years later, in 1999, French paleontologists discovered a cave in uh, Moulin-Gurceux. All of our French listeners, sorry, I'm good at some words. I'm not good at 
this name <laughs> regardless. Uh, it contained the bones of six Neanderthals or Neanderthal. I've heard both who appeared to have been consumed cannibalistically. Uh, their bones had been broken in a manner similar to that of smaller prey animals that a hunter gatherer might've eaten during this time. Uh, and this manner allowed for the easy extraction of marrow and brain matter. Additionally, evidence suggested that their tongues and thighs had also been butchered for consumption. How do we know that about like the soft tissue part? Like that mm-hmm. seems hard to so, know so you can, from thousands well, of years so ago. So you can see, so thinking about like the, the, the tools they're using, like the knives, like mm-hmm. obsidian knives, the knife marks on their jawbones and uh, on their femurs are consistent with like what you would see on like an animal bone when you're like filleting it essentially. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And like the fact that they were there versus like, you know, on like ribs or whatever, like they're not pulling an army hammer where they want to just do, you know, like a live rib snack. Ew. Uh, <laughs> God, that is like the saddest thing ever because he's a fucking snack, but he's also fucking crazy. Yes. Ugh. God, I hate it. It's, <laughs> they're just dropping like fucking flies, man. Uh, man. So we found, so we found some in, in Spain first and now in France. And then in France. Yeah. Okay. This is about 20 ish years ago. Dang. Okay. So, but yeah. And like I said, these were all with Neanderthals and, you know, we're thinking of course, like Neanderthals, we know died out eventually and they're mm-hmm. still kind of figuring out why we don't know. However, we do know, right. That eventually uh, homo sapiens did begin to engage in cannibalism And we don't exactly know when, obviously there are estimates, but we have some, you know, specific accounts that begin in the 11th century. And I usually don't like using, you know, the counting centuries, but it's felt really weird for me to say in the thousands, right? Like in the 400s, (laughs) like in the thousands, right? Right. That one is weird. (laughs) That's weird. Yep. Uh, In the 11th century. So uh, these include records of human meat for sale in English markets during periods of famine, right? So that it's unfortunate, but like, it makes sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, that right. reminds um, me of like Sweeney Todd when they're making like meat pies because they're out of people because there just aren't, isn't meat to be had. I don't think they're out of, is, I don't, that's not what it is in famine, Sweeney Todd. She's bad that- at cooking. They have to. They have they to like have to murder somebody and they put it in the, and they put it in the pies. Cause she's like, there's the whole song. Like these are the worst pies in London. Like, yeah, she's but a then everyone eats them. yeah. Because people apparently taste like pig. That's why they're called <laughs> long pig. I don't know. Wait, what? People are called long pig. Yeah. Cause when you, um, this is in, Oh God, I forget. I think in Fiji or in Baja. Um, I think it was Fiji. When you like roast a person on a spit, they look like a long pig. Yeah. Um, not something I, nope, nope. This is, there are so many tangents in this because I'm really just trying to focus here and we're about to get to, you know, the big one, you know, oh. with the big old key of this episode. You distracted uh, us, sorry. <laughs> so it's okay. Hey, no, you're good. Our <laughs> listeners are so used to my episodes being a twisty turny web of my Adderall having worn off long ago. <laughs> so uh, beyond that though, right. So the survival cannibalism during, you know, the crusades, uh, AKA state sanctioned genocide, like that's never happened, you know, since then. Ha ha. 
there in 1098, there was a well-documented incident of the slaughter and consumption of Muslims during the Crusades in Syria. Mm. So there is some debate as to whether this was due to famine, uh, but the majority of scholars believe this is actually uh, celebrated by the Crusaders initially. Um, it's an example of what's, there's a, many different kinds of cannibalism, about five-ish from what I saw, but this one's called aggressive cannibalism. Um, this is a totally different topic. We're not talking about this one today, but, and again, this was kind of a, a dark stain on, oh God, that was a terrible accidental pun on really, you know, the Catholic European society. So this is again, like the other ring starts here, right? They're like, mm-hmm. okay, so the crusades are spreading Christianity. And we think about, you know, okay, who are we trying to save or conquer? Right. And yep. to quote Geraldine Hang in her book, Cannibalism, the first crusade and the, gen- the genesis of medieval romance, witches, Jews, savages, Orientals, and pagans are conceivable as indeed must be cannibals. But in the 12th century medieval imaginary, the Christian European subject cannot. So basically, uh, what basically she's saying in this, and I believe she's quoting um, from, you know, historical texts, because I don't think that she would be saying Orientals. uh, And Mm -hmm. yeah, right. She's essentially saying that at this time, they're like, if we're to project our image as, you know, the noble crusaders, right? We, we can't let people be thinking that we're cannibals. Uh, we need to put all this on the people we're trying to conquer, right? Like what's yeah. the big taboo here, right? That's really interesting. Cause like, right, Crusader, I'm thinking of like some noble knights and like, you mm-hmm. know, shiny armor and the red cross. And I'm not thinking like, yeah, I'm eating people like that. Those are yep. so far separated in my mind. That is wild. Yeah. But yeah, so we're cruising, you know, we've got, you know, a few centuries continuing of this othering, right? Like you've got people going out to, you know, explore and travel and convert savages, quote unquote, right? And it's likely because of this, you know, like almost four centuries of othering that a new form of cannibalism was able to explode in popularity in Europe in the 1500s. And my sweet, sweet Ellie Belly, I am talking about medicinal cannibalism, what? more commonly known as corpse medicine. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. So are we talking like, I'm sure you're going to tell me, but like, oh, eat this person's liver and you will have good luck. Like that kind of thing? In the words of Richard Sugg in his book, Mummies, Cannibals and Vampires, the History of Corpse Medicine from the Renaissance to the Victorians, the question was not, should you eat human flesh? But what sort of flesh should you eat? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was like the best leader you could have possibly given me. Oh, my God. So many Europeans, uh, really lots of them, uh, royalty, priests, scientists, in you know, other people routinely ingested remedies, like both just like, like we'd take supplements and also healthcare that contained human bones, blood, fat, other tissues for really everything. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Wait, okay. So yeah. we're talking, we're in Europe and we're in, what did you, when are we? The now? 1500s, 1500s. So the 16th century. So we had human meat for sale and, you know, terrible genocide 
cannibalism in like 1100. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, the othering, othering, othering in the 1500s, it's like, ba-bam. Right. Now it's like hip and cool. And <laughs> but you're asking, well, how the fuck did this start? Right. Yeah. And the answer is. So as we are uh, kind of exploring, you know, around the world, at some point we get to Egypt and the people find some mummies. They start grave robbing. Clearly, we know that they have zero uh, respect for anything because they're white men who suck. Yeah. They, you know, are adventuring and they get to Egypt and they find some mummies and they are like, hmm, I don't really know who was like, this is a good idea, but someone was like, you know what we should do? We should take these mummies and just kind of smash them up and then grind them up into powder. And it's going to do some shit. So, so, so someone just had like this bright idea. And then I could not figure out, I literally spent half an hour scouring the internet to try to figure out who the fuck first thought of this. But mummies were fucking ubiquitous. Until 1910, there was a German pharmacy that was still carrying powdered mummy. 1910? That's so late. 1910. And people are like, yeah, this is fine. This is fine. We can just like take dead people and use them for whatever we want, including eating them? That's like kind of a big thing. And like, that's a thing here that I'll kind of come back to, right? Because- Again, you have like the othering, right? Like the savages are cannibals, whatever. And like there's there was there was absolutely cannibalism, you know, in other parts of the world. There's kind of two main differences here. Um, One with European cannibalism, as we're going to start seeing right in this, you know, corpse medicine and medicinal cannibalism. It's a commodity, right? Human tissue is a commodity. People are a commodity Mm -hmm. uh, and they're all distanced, right? Clearly, they're not considering this cannibalism, right? right? It's a, the, it, we're doing this, we're civilized, this is medicine, even though at this time they still don't know how blood circulates in the body. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Um, but then we're calling, you know, these people, just like we called, people were calling the casket girls, uh, women of ill repute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phrase barbaric cannibals was used frequently to uh. describe these people. Um, who are uncivilized or savage, you know, in Asia, in Africa, you know, in the Americas. Yeah. So, or the West Indies, if you're, you know, Christopher Dickwad. So really, I can't call him his real name anymore. It's just what he is in my head. <laughs> the first time you said it, I'm like, Christ- who is this person? Christ- oh, <laughs> Dickwad Columbus. Yeah. Christopher Dickwad is basically just what I'm going to call him at this point. Here's the thing. So when these people who, you know, were from non-European tribes and civilizations were considering people, it was done in a very different fashion. It was a decidedly social context, right? So you're talking about, you know, cool room, people eating brain and things like that and getting the shakes. And you only get a, you can largely get a prion disease like mad cow holder thing, but from people, if you're eating neural tissue. So that is called mortuary cannibalism. And that is actually a sign of, you know, respect and affection for the dead. So and, and like in, specifically eating their brain or eating their body. Right. Okay. So as we, as Westerns, obviously as European, you know, society or in Western, you know, quote unquote, developed society, 
are like at that, right? You know, eating, you know, prepared meat or a stew of human, right? Or cringing at that. Many of these tribes view our practice of putting our loved one like in the cold earth as horrific. Mm -hmm. Like it's like abandoning their body. Whereas in with the consumption and everybody, even like infants are fed um, like broth, right? They're under this way. It's like, so the whole tribe is eating one person that died. And in this way, they're allowing this person to be part of the future of the tribe. Right. And to like live on through your. Exactly. Right. And it's part of the morning, the grieving process, right. They're not going to go eat, you know, just a random person. It's like, this is a sign of respect and people don't like to think about it, but think about, you know, Catholicism and transubstantiation. Your Catholics believe that you're literally eating, you know, the body of Christ, right. You're consuming flesh. So I mean, damn fucking tasty. I would eat unconsecrated hosts all fucking day if I could. They're tasty snacks. <laughs> no, they're like the worst snacks. <laughs> I like them. They're, I don't know, man. I'm a fan. Um, so yeah, but no, I'm imagining like a little charcuterie board with like just a bunch of little hosts. <laughs> there's a there's a convent close to where I grew up and like their business. So like I don't know if you guys are listeners know or not. Ellen and I both grew up Catholic uh, that most monasteries and, you know, um, convents or, you know, nunneries, essentially cloisters, uh, they have like a business. They're usually like self-sustaining. They're actually really cool little communities. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like old, like publishing houses or breweries. Um, but this one, the nuns bake hosts and they sell, they sell like the imperfect hosts and you can buy little like boxes of unconsecrated, like slightly misshapen hosts and they're fucking Dunking that shit in some hummus? Fuck yeah. I mean, they're like holy cheese its almost. Well, they're yeah. not. They're unconsecrated. They don't get to be fancy until the who happens. Right. And right. the whoosh and the bells go ring-a-dig-a-ding. That was the best part of being an altar server. You'd go ding, ding, no, ding. No, that was the like, most stressful you... part. You're like, okay, can't miss it. <laughs> some priests, like, they do, like, the big arm swoop, and it's like, okay, I got this. And, like, once right. they're, like, at the like at 90 degrees, you're like, no, what's up? But then, like, some priests are just, like, Flipping their hands over, like, no, I can't miss it. What a like bespoke altar girl conversation to be having. It really is. Oh my God. You guys, I don't even know where we're at. Um, So we're having, like you were saying, some tribes, their tradition is to make soup or consume their their loved ones. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, this is where the stigma is, right? And of course, it's jarring, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they have a very, you know, social, they have a relationship, right? And even if there are, you know, prisoners of war who are consumed by like a, you know, an enemy tribe, quote unquote, quite frequently, um, and obviously we don't, we can't know this for sure, but frequently we do know that many of them were kept alive for months and like considered to be, you know, like a revered guest, right? You Mm -hmm. are going to be offered to our God or gods as a sacrifice. And therefore we need to treat you you know, with respect and, you know, treat you very well. And even though that's still like, yeah, they are still a prisoner. However, I would not be surprised if these prisoners were treated with more dignity and care than many of the prisoners today in U.S. prisons. Yeah. So I digress. Oh, and also a fun fact during this time in Europe, Europeans during this time more than likely consumed more human tissue per capita than everybody in the rest of the world. Whoa. Like you think about it, these small communities are only eating a person when they die. 
Right. But we're saying like, oh, there's a tradition for that. Mm-hmm. And in my prior to this episode, uneducated mind, I'm like, oh, Europeans aren't eating any people. But that is, that is not. They're eating. Well, you're going to hear what they're eating in a little. We're going to, we're going to talk oh about that. Everything they're consuming. And like I said, so it's like all your over-the-counter meds, your prescriptions, and your like daily vitamins. So let's talk about some of it. And we talked about the ground up mummies and these mummies were used for so many things. Uh, there was in the late 16th century, there's a surgeon named Ambroise Barre um, from France that claimed mummy was the very first and last medicine of almost all our practitioners. So like, this is basically like the first thing you try and when nothing else works, you come back to it. Like, it's just, that's, it's the cure-all, right? So mummy is used or was used for, take it in tinctures. Uh, A tincture is like a little like blendy blend of like an oil and and like a water essentially for bleeding or used in plasters, which is like a bandaid or like a bandage against venomous bites or joint pain. This is like so prevalent that there's actually like there was a thriving trade in like fake mummy that was made from poor people like literally they just like round up poor people and kill them or or, like people who just died in the street criminals or animals right yeah because it doesn't feel like that's a hard thing to to fake right no it's like grind up anything yeah how the fuck do you know like obviously you can tell if something you know is like you can you can tell I guess it's probably a pretty unique thing yeah. And also fun fact, uh, mummies were also made into a pink mummy powder called mummy brown. And the last oh. tube of it was produced, I think in 1963, when this last company that made it literally ran out of mummy. Like that is horrifying to think about. Like that is a person. Mm-hmm. So I will say one very lovely, sweet thing. Well, not lovely, sweet, but like heartwarming in a weird way thing. Uh, this painter um, in the 1800s, he had no idea. He thought it was just called mummy Brown is like, this is the color of sarcophagus or something. And his wife was like, babe, no, no, honey. That's, that's not what it is. He stopped painting. He, and he ran out of the house and insisted on having a funeral for the tube of paint and they buried it. He had a whole service and his daughters planted like his little kiddo daughters planted a daisy on top. That's really sweet, actually. That's like, I love that he was immediately like, he was like famous and and like, he was actually famous for the the browns and shadows he used with this paint and he had no idea. And he's like, no, I don't give a fuck. This is a human being. Right. It deserves reverence. Right, that we're exploiting in death for profit. See, okay, in a weird way, I don't, okay, so like, I don't know what it says about me. Like, obviously desecration of a tomb is not great. Like, it's a bad juju. Mm-hmm. But I think because I have no, um, I ideally would like to be, you know, either an organ donor or, you know, donate to science. I'm happy to be a cadaver. I would mm-hmm. like someone to learn from my death. And then like the leftovers, essentially, I would like to be buried underneath a tree. You know, mm-hmm. you can go, you know, eat grandma's apples or something. That sounds kind of sexual, but get the point. <laughs> I was going to say, that's so cute. No, and but I think that is like, because you get, to make those choices of like exactly what you, exactly. Right. exactly right it's all like, about it, like the intent it's like because like it's kind of like we we're saying like this like eating people in death and like mm-hmm. reverently like that is like kind of cool to have like the continuation yeah. like it could be cool to be like oh like I've been made into paint mm-hmm. and now you can make something beautiful 
but like having that piece of like, if it's, I exactly. would like to be paint, not I mm-hmm. stolen sure. out of my nice restful yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're going to come back to that actually in the end, we're going to, we're going to revisit this, the whole consent and thing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and again, you have the consent again in the beginning, right. From bound who was, you know, either coerced into suicide. Right. Yeah. So we talked about mummy, uh, but second to mummy was skull. So powdered skull was taken uh, to cure head ailments. And a lot of the mm-hmm. things that you'll see in this point is that it's kind of like got some head pain, you know, uh, you take know, some just take some powdered <laughs> skull. Truly, like essentially that's like what a lot of this is. And I mean, you're thinking about it, it's like all homeopathic and like they're, they're trying their best. Like it's kind of uh-huh. fucked, but like I said, there's like almost zero objection to this. And this is amongst like also the religious community. Like everyone's doing it. Truly, it's everywhere. This is not just like in England, it's all throughout Europe. And like, we're going to talk about in a bit, right? Wow. Yeah. And like you had like that French surgeon on Bols Palais who's talking about mummy, right? Fun fact, there's a French uh, pharmacy that's still like at, for, in like a display. They have a little like jar of like powdered mummy that turned out to be a mummified cat. But it was initially apparently marketed uh, that it was uh, the remains of Joan of Arc. Nice. <laughs> and also like, let's talk about the, the fucking... Also, like bad juju, Catholics have relics everywhere. I have a couple bone chips. Those saints yeah. didn't fucking consent for their remains to be scattered throughout the world. That's, That's also true. I get, yeah. Also, for the most part, had a shitty life because they had all this, they're, even if they're not like a full on martyr, like they died, they're like, nobody wants all that, you know, mm-hmm. responsibility. Right. And then they have like their yeah. little body like chipped apart into like little laminated cards. And it's like, this is a bone shard from so and so. Right. Right. Or like, yeah. Yeah. Because like, I guess we're like, oh, we're, that's like mm-hmm. we're treating it reverently. But yeah. I guess you could or say like, that about anything. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, technically, I have a St. Gemma relic locket. I have a bone shard of St. Gemma. It's a really pretty locket. I'll give it that. Um, she's the patron saint of education. She's very severe looking um <laughs> probably she's judging me for having her bone chip in a locket my parents you know gave it to me to help me get through grad school it didn't really work out for me it's probably Gemma's revenge so yeah we've got skull taken to cure head elements thomas willis a 17th century pioneer of brain science like let's just let that sink in we don't really know how blood circulates yet we have a pioneer of brain science that sounds like i'm just cutting into people's heads I'm drilling random holes, seeing if it relieves pressure. I would trust an early humanoid, like, person to do trepanation on me, which is like drilling a hole in that, which we still do, like burr holes. I would trust that more than this, because most people that had that done to them fucking lived. Whereas, like, this shit, I'm like, whee, right? Anyway, uh, so this dude, bruh, which he seems wholesome. He brewed a drink for apoplexy, which is like a stroke, basically, or an aneurysm or internal bleeding that mingled powdered human skull and chocolate. It was like yummy. (laughs) It was like dusty. So like drinking chocolate then, like they didn't really start adding sugar to it for a while. Like it wasn't like hot chocolate. It was like those people that drink like chaga and chocolate, like the dark bitterness thing. Yeah. I mean, like, anyway, he's, you know, he's doing that. Have some chalky chocolate, I guess. King Charles II of England uh, sipped the king's drops, his personal tincture containing human skull and alcohol. 
And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I couldn't find a ton of things on it because apparently the King's drops are also now a fucking British cookie. And they're like a little like fudge drop. Oh. And it's a little like, I kept getting recipes for fucking cookies. And I'm like, no, I want bone elixir. Right. Give me uh, the skull and alcohol recipe. Give please. me the juice. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. It What do you think it was like? Like gin? So, mead? <laughs> so like, I have a couple things like here, right? So like, We'll circle back, but like with the skull again. So they called it the, frequently the toupee of moss that grew over a buried skull called usnea or usnea. It's U-S-N-E-A. Became a prized additive, right? So like often when you bury, I don't know how or how deep they're burying these fucking skulls, but like, you know how moss will grow on something like a rock? Yeah. Right. I guess moss would grow on skulls and that was like super prized. Um, and they would dry up, they would like dry up this. Maybe they were just like cultivating it. They just like bury a skull and like let it get mossy. Hmm. That wouldn't bug me as much. I mean, it's no. a medium like anything else, right? Like, right. it doesn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, I think we have like, you know, blood donors shit like that. I feel like that's still different than moss. <laughs> moss I mean, still well, not so, people. This one like actually low key worked for nosebleeds and other shit because you know, physics, if you put powder on something that's liquid, it's going to congeal. Nice. And it, it, yeah. And also again, like moss for the most part is pretty innocuous. Like it's not actually going to, it can't really carry pathogens for the most part. So like, nice. Right. And also we do know that moss has been used by indigenous people for a while as like to pack wounds and things like that. Right. It keeps moisture. Well, yeah. it tends to, yeah, it doesn't really get moldy. So Okay, so so they kind of stumbled upon something. Yeah, and like, but like, not really. Like, yeah, it's just kind of like, can you just imagine like shoving some powdered usnea, like some powdered skull moss up your nose? Sounds delicious. (laughs) I got a blood nose today and I thought about putting a tampon in my nose, like, and uh, she's the man. man. But then I was like, ah, fuck, I'm an an eco crunchy bitch. Use the menstrual cup. I don't have tampons. So, yeah, just shove an yeah. entire cup up your nostril. That would yeah, that'd be <laughs> yeah, nah. Yeah, so John, so so John French, who's another English physician, he had at least two recipes for distilling skulls into spirits. One of which he said not only helps the falling sickness, gout, dropsy. Uh, the falling sickness, I believe, is like either epilepsy or narcolepsy. Okay, and dropsy is congestive heart failure and stomach troubles, but was also a kind of panacea. The other recipe was better for epilepsy. Oh no. So what's falling sickness versus epilepsy? That has to be narcolepsy. Maybe it's like fainting. Yeah, it's fainting. But I'm thinking falling sickness. That seems like it's a chronic condition. And that to me seems like narcolepsy where you can just faint for no fucking reason. Or maybe like low blood pressure. I don't know. Anyway, for epilepsy, convulsions, all fevers, putrid or pestilential, passions of the heart. Wait, just throwing that one in there. I was like, okay, these are all like medical ailments. So they used to think that being like lovesick was like a disease because that's where the term lovesick comes from because Mm. you didn't get married for love most of the time. That's crazy. It does sound like kind of a, like a badass like drink though, like made out of skulls. So, right. So from what I could get, oh, also fun fact. So the King's drops, right? So his one's, they were actually basically made out of his dad, Charles the first. Charles the first. Fun fact: so Charles the first didn't buy into any of this shit. He was like, "Fuck this! I'm not eating people. 
Yeah. No. And his fucking son or Charles II, I don't know if they were one generation, regardless, either his son or his grandson was like, mm, I'm going to grind him up and make the drops. <laughs> yeah. So he's just fucking. And yeah, so this basically from what I can find out, this is basically from what I get found. So distilling is why you make liquor. And this appears to be like distilled bone, like moonshine, the king's drops. And like, you basically didn't have to drink from like drops. Like you'd have to drink very much. Like I'm pretty sure you put like a little, like, like an eye dropper full and you'd get fucking wasted. The remedy was popular for a variety of complaints and seems to often have been mixed into wine or chocolate. In at least one case, it was used as a sort of mother's little helper, which is, you know, what they would call speed in like the fifties by a woman named Ann Dormer who wrote in 1686, right? So this is going on. This is like 200 years before we started to her sister, Lady Elizabeth Trumbull, who I believe was actually adjacent to Anne and George, if I'm ah, I apply myself to tend my crazy health and keep up my weak, shattered carcass. That's what I'm going to call my body when I'm just, <laughs> I can't even. My weak, shattered carcass, broken with restless nights and unquiet days. I take the king's drops and drink chocolate. And when my soul is sad to death, I run and play with the children. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So it really is like, it's just is... getting her fucking wasted. She's a quote unquote wine mom. That's so, what she is. Okay. So the King's drop, is that then more of like a, like an overall term for these kind of King shirts? Like it's not just like, his this is drop. no, this one is, this is a specific kind. So the King's drops were invented for the King because King Charles II, mm-hmm. and they were made out of King Charles the first initially, that was the first skull they ground up to make these. And they were basically invented by Thomas Willis. Okay. Um, and then they became like a thing. And then like other physicians like John French, um, right? He was, he had two recipes. Basically it's like, it's like powdered skull moonshine and they're called the King's drops. Like, okay. Basically think about it, how like technically like facial tissue is a thing, but like we call it Kleenex because like they were the first brand. Yep. Okay. That makes right. sense. <laughs> yeah. I love that. What a, what a fun brand name. <laughs> right the king's drops and other cookies uh they don't even look that fucking tasty like you think they have some skull in them maybe that's a secret ingredient they just look like blobs of chocolate goo i mean we're mixing the king's drop with chocolate sometimes (laughs) moving on from skulls let's move on to fat human fat was used to treat the outside of the body German doctors, for instance, prescribed bandages soaked in it for wounds and rubbing fat into the skin was considered a remedy for gout and severe bruising. So like one thing we'll say is gout seems to be like, first of all, gout's a really, it's kind of painful. Usually Mm -hmm. I forget how it works, but if you eat a lot of fat, your feet swell up. I remember my grandpa had gout. He used to say, I'm a poor man with a rich man's disease. (laughs) You get like crystals that like form in your joints. And so it's like really Mm -hmm. painful to move. Yeah. Isn't like your kidney is like too much fat can't make enough Billy Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you get like, I think like mineral deposits in your joints Mm -hmm. and then they like kind of like grate on each other. And I, I just remember my, like as a small, small child, I remember my dad Mm -hmm. telling me, I think I told him like my toe hurt and he was like, Oh my God, you're probably getting gout from eating all that shrimp. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, I have gout. (laughs) Shrimp have like no fat in them. (laughs) Was this before or after the Elvis face? Uh, this, is, this is probably around the time of the oh, You're so precious. <laughs> Don't worry. I went through a frog phase. You're good. 
Okay. I was into amphibians for a while. You're you're so good. Yeah. Uh, this made me think so much of rubbing alcohol is for outside wound and drinking alcohol is for inside wounds because that's what it was. The king's drops were for skulls. Were, skull was for inside wounds and fat was for outside wounds. I could kind of see the fat I mean, for the outside. The, the fat is like that, that works for me, right? Like I don't love it obviously, but like, if you think about like, you know, liniment. Yeah. So like, I mean, think about lotion, right? So, I mean, yeah, I don't love it, but like makes sense. Right. Uh, But also, yeah. So sir, I love French names and butchering them, but I love them. (laughs) Uh, physician to several English and French kings, as well to Oliver Cromwell, recommended a pain-killing plaster made of hemlock, opium, and human fat, which honestly sounds fucking great. Dangerous, but great. Like, you're basically just like, it's really fucking strong CBD balm. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's really what it is. Uh, hemlock is probably going to cause a little bit of, like, you know, nerve damage, which is going to kill the pain. Opium is just, you know, getting you stoned. And the fat's just degrading moisturized you know (laughs) glowing yeah yeah in 1694 paris you could buy fat made from people at the drugstore though there was more to be had if you went straight to the executioner and i'm not gonna lie most of some of these phrases are taken like verbatim from the articles i did so these are quotes and i will again say by the end uh in munich sug who i mentioned earlier i forget his first name the executioner delivered fat to the city's apothecaries by the pound until the mid 18th century. So like for like 250 years, the executioner Whoa. is just like dropping off. Like he's like the butter delivery guy. It's like fucking butter and milk delivery. It's just Ew. chunks of fat. I mm-hmm. don't like that. So he was then also like preparing the bodies then, right? Like he had to somehow get out the fat. I don't know. Like, I think it's in... Monty Python. I'm like, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. The corpse mm-hmm. cart, right? So, I mean, the the executioner. He's not also the person who pushes the corpse cart, but like, clearly, he's. I'm guessing, like, charged with like, there's no more, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets to do what the fuck he wants with the bodies. Ugh. So now we're on to blood. So well, this is honestly this this is kind of the grossest one. I'm not gonna lie. So and again, vampirism is technically a kind of cannibalism. Um, you don't have to eat meat. You can just, you know, do a little drinky drink, but it's, it's human tissue. Right. Yeah. Wait. So, okay. I guess it is sinking in just now that like we're considering vampirism, cannibalism. Mm -hmm. It's form of cannibalism. And like, so in our episode, cannibalism doesn't require death. Okay. That is interesting too, but it just Mm -hmm. felt like in our episode last time, people were very like, that was very taboo that people Mm -hmm. were that they were like suspected of being a vampire but it's sounding like now it's like oh it's like fashionable so like somewhere things like disconnect I guess so and we're going to talk about that at the end here we go okay blood was procured as fresh as possible while it was still thought to contain the vitality of the blood this requirement made it challenging to acquire the 16th century German Swiss German German Swiss physician Paracelsus believed blood was good for drinking, and one of his followers even suggested taking blood from a living body. Okay, logistically here, if somebody has anemia, there's a bunch of different kinds, but if you have an iron deficiency, 
honestly, this is probably going to be helpful for you. Like it's Mm -hmm. gross, but some people need frequent transfusions. Like it's not really going to be the same thing if you're eating it. However, you know, it's, it's something this one actually might have some solid evidence to it. I think about like blood doping, but again, you're eating it, but still it's supplement. Um, I could be totally full of shit, but like this one makes the most sense to me in theory. Such medicinal vampirism had no shortage of adherence. Marsilio Ficino, a highly respected uh, 15th century Italian scholar and priest, said that the elderly people uh, hoping to regain the spring in their step should suck the blood of an adolescent who is clean, happy, temperate, and whose blood is excellent, but perhaps a little excessive. So keep in mind that we're at the time where like bloodletting is a thing. So Mm. basically this is what they're doing. So, you know, after you give blood, you're kind of like, you have to like eat a snack and like hang out for a minute. Cause you know, you'll lose something. If you're too fucking boisterous, they're going to take some blood out of you to chill you out. Oh my God. They're inducing low, they're inducing hypoglycemia and hypovolemia to a degree. So you are less again, feisty. Ew. Anything, right okay and, you, and, and i love that this is like oh it but make sure it's like a happy youth i'm like they're not gonna yeah. be happy once you're bloodletting them i mean but maybe it's like you know it's an honor question i don't know like seriously they're like trafficking it's essentially human trafficking it's ex- exploitation it's not essentially it's yeah another popular remedy sometimes attributed to saint albertus magnus uh involved this the distilling the blood of a healthy man as if it were rose water. The result was said to cure any disease of the body and a small quantity, I guess the quote unquote, restoreth them that have lost all their strength, according to the 1559 text. So this one actually, basically he's making an elixir of literally just iron and heme. Mm. So this actually is like an iron tablet. It's like an okay. like liquid. This actually is going to actually probably be really helpful because someone's probably anemic. They're like iron deficient anemic at this point. Right. And they're weak so, yeah. and whatever. And you're giving them iron. Yeah. The fact like, that oh my God, the blood it, like, fixed it. Yeah. yeah. That he's distilling it. Like basically it's like old school fractional distillation. Um, I can't even imagine how expensive that glass would be. That glassware. My glass was expensive today, but fucking, I can't mm-hmm. even imagine. Um. By the 1650s, there was a general belief that drinking fresh, hot blood from the recently deceased would cure epilepsy as help with consumption. And this is not actually a new, well, this wasn't a new idea. This was something that the Romans did. Uh, They would have epileptics uh, drink the blood of um, newly deceased, freshly deceased gladiators. Um, And also at this time, well, also epilepsy was like actually pretty frequently common throughout history, but I believe at this time or at that time, epileptics were considered to be some like kind of oracle that was like uh, a thing. So like a little bit respected and revered. Yeah. Dried and powdered blood was recommended for nosebleeds and sprinkled on sprinkled on wounds to stop bleeding. Again, like there's probably some leftover clotting factors in there. Mm, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Here's where it gets nasty. More common than this kind of medicinal vampirism, however, was indeed fresh blood drinking, especially with regards to those of a lower socioeconomic status. The poor, who couldn't always afford the processed compounds sold in apothecaries, could gain the benefits of cannibal medicine by standing by at executions, paying a small amount for a cup of the still warm blood of the condemned. 
the executioner was considered a big healer in Germanic countries. Oh my god. Uh, this is Germans have always been metal as fuck. Let's put it that way. Wait. Quote unquote. No. He was a social leper with almost magical powers. Uh oh, and it gets so much worse. Or to so we're just so much worse. <laughs> you're at an execution, and he's just like like filling it up like a like a bartender at a tap. Yeah, just handed them out. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Uh, or like Asher Roth and I love college. Fill up my cup. Let's get fucked up. At first, when you were saying this, I was <laughs> my brain was like, "Oh, there's gonna be blood splatter, and they're gonna like open their mouth and try to catch it." <laughs> <laughs> That's where my brain went until you were like, "Maybe it's like pass a, out cups. Maybe if they, maybe if it was like a brand new executioner, and he's like, "Ah, fuck." Can you get the sprayage? It's like, oh, God right. damn it. It's like, like Ben, either, you had one job. It's like when either like a bride throws her, her bouquet and like everyone's uh-huh. trying to catch the blood or like when you're at mass and the priest is sprinkling holy water, just trying to get that blood I, splattered. That has to be. <laughs> okay. So side note. Well, Father Bet is like the fucking coolest. He comes to my parents' house for dinner. If you're come to my parents' house, which I'm sure you will at some point, um, You'll probably meet Brother Ben. He's the fucking best. And I was like, made a joke. I was like, is it fun? He's like, seriously, incense and sprinkling holy water are one of the best perks of being a priest. He's like, it almost makes it worth it to be in confession with somebody who's really boring. He's not lying. (laughs) I love that. But yeah, so let's just say, you know, you're poor, but you don't really want to knock back your blood right away. But, you know, no worries. Because there's a recipe from a 1679 Franciscan, right? So monks, apothecary that described how to make it into marmalade. And wouldn't you know, I happened to find a copy of that recipe. Oh my God. Are you ready? Are you ready, kids? As recounted, this is by Richard Sugg again. The first step was to take blood from persons of warm, moist temperament such as those of a blotchy red complexion and rather plump of build. Yeah, so you're letting your blood congeal. Okay, so after that, and this is a translation, obviously. After that, place it upon a flat, smooth table of soft wood and cut it into thin little slices, allowing its watery part to drip away, which is basically like, you know, your blood is mostly water, so like the plasma, I'm guessing. Yeah, but when it is no longer dripping, so is it gonna letting it be in slices? That feels so you're letting it con- so you're like you're basically making fruit leather. Does blood do that? Blood Maybe congeals. I've not seen it. I mean, congeals, so, but like enough thick enough to be like a strip. I don't know how much blood you think I've I don't seen. know. I haven't seen that much. Blood. I've just seen two, I've seen two, I've just seen tubes in like biochem lab. When and that was like one time, and they took a they let us spin our own blood, and that was creepy enough. But it was kind of right. cool, but still creepy, right? So and it was like a teeny tiny vial. It wasn't like even it was like right. right. It wasn't a big boy. It was like tiny, right? Anyway, uh, okay. So we're letting it congeal. So because it's dry and it's okay, it's a sticky mass, right? So it's still kind of wet. So we're placing essentially like i'm thinking is like the blood caramel basically on a flat smooth table (laughs) of soft wood so soft wood is maple soft what kind of wood is soft i think maple is hard i don't know i don't really know 
I don't know my Talking woods. Like You're I, a fisheries and aren't trees. No, trees aren't wildlife. That's botany. No, Whatever. Yeah. Cut it. Okay. So you're cutting your goo into thin little slices and you're allowing its watery part to drip away. So I'm guessing like maybe, I don't, I don't know how, anyway, um, maybe when you like break like this, like the skin of like, like the, you know what I'm saying? Like this, I don't know. Oh, it gets, I like, do not know. Yeah. I'm glad that I don't know. Let's put it that way. Um, Okay, allowing its water part to drip away. When it is no longer dripping, place it on a stove on the same table. I don't know why the table matters. And stir it to a batter with a knife. Oh, okay, so you're putting like a wood block on the stove. Oh, like wood grilled salmon. Gross, oh, but yeah, it's basically okay. what it is. Okay, on a stove on the same table. Okay, okay, so and stir it to a batter with a knife. So yeah, you really are like making like the Cold Stone Creamery ribbon candy business. Ew. When it is absolutely dry, so you're like drying that shit out, place it immediately in a very warm bronze mortar uh, and pound it like mortar and pestle, like you're making guac. And then you're forcing it through a sieve of finest silk. So silk, I don't know if you guys know, it's a very tight weave. Uh, The Mongols used to actually wear silk underneath their metal armor. So because typically wouldn't actually, it would not, tear a hole if you had like an, an arrow go through you mm. so like you'd still get a cut but then you could cleanly remove the arrow the silk and also silk is antibacterial oh in fact wait that's yeah. very fun fact but yeah so when the, when your blood caramel has been sieved this is i don't even this is the best or the worst part seal it in a glass jar renew it in the spring of every year your blood caramel is good for a whole fucking year sorry your marmalade is good for a year. <laughs> so, all right. So the, the last kind of key here is kind of all these put together is the concept of vitality, right? So like thinking again, like tying back to vampirism, which is very weird and like, it makes sense, but like, I don't really think of vampires as cannibalism. Like it is, but like that doesn't compute in my head. Yeah. If you think about vampires living for forever, they're consuming the life force of somebody through their blood, right? So yeah. the vitality. Another reason human remains were considered potent was because they were thought to contain the spirit of the body from which they were taken. A spirit was considered to be a very real part of physiology um, and like noetic science today would agree and uh, witchy bitch Bell is here for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was linked to the body and the soul. In this context, blood was especially powerful. So basically it's like you got your soul, you got your body and you got your chi, right? Um, they thought the blood carried the soul and did so in the form of vaporous spirits. So that honestly kind of reminds me of like Harry Potter with like the pensive and like when Snape is dying and like they take his tears. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, yeah. Sure. So basically the blood carries the soul and like within it is vaporous spirits, vapor. I don't know if people who don't know uh, with chemistry. So vapor is like basically, um, <clears throat> In the states of matter or something that's water-based um it's when like steam that's vapor it's not gas exactly um it's somewhere in the middle there so physicians and patients believe the ingredients obtained from corpses were most potent if they had died violently uh so for instance the great so paracelsus again he seems weird as fuck and also paracelsus is apparently on uh chocolate frog card and harry potter like oh what 
Yeah, it's so weird. Like maybe I'll do an episode of like everybody in a chocolate frog card. That'd That's be fun. fun. That'd be a fun one. It would Wait, be. So they're saying if you've died violently, what almost like your body is like supercharged, and so you're better so, for these remedies. So Paracelsus is like, so if a, if a man's hanged, his quote unquote vital spirits would quote burst forth to the circumference of the bone. Which basically means like, which yeah, sounds kind of sexual. Uh, and also it kind of is funny with like, if you're going to rigor, then you get a boner if you're a dude. Uh, but basically it's like, he's, it's almost like he's jazzed to the gills. He is energized with chi to the gills, right? Like if he's like, you know, like uh, uh, short drops, short drop, quick stop, basically like his neck is broken. It's like, so if instead of like, you know, slowly dying, you know, like breathing your last death rattle breath, uh, right? you're like, kind of he's like not leaching out. Your... Like he's a right. Mm. He's a healthy guy. It's not leaching out of you. A healthy guy is suddenly gone. Right. Okay. When death came suddenly, a person's spirit could stay trapped within its mortal coil for at least long enough that a living might benefit from its power. Oof. And kind of the same way, like with the cups, fascist blood is considered the most robust. Right. Sometimes the blood of young men was preferred. Sometimes that of virginal young women. Like that's kind of the stereotype. Sacrifice yeah. a virgin. Um, although from what I found, uh, young men actually tended to be more sought after essentially. Cause you're like that strength and that bigger. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I could see that. You're like, I want to be right. strong and healthy mm-hmm. and like, yep. if you're thinking of little tiny ladies yeah. at this time, they're probably not. <laughs> it's more like a, a sexual thing or you like women who want to stay youthful by ingesting corpse material, one gains the strength of the person consumed. And again, that's also kind of a throwback to, you know, those other indigenous tribes Mm-hmm. or societies, um, civilizations where they're like basically ingesting, you know, their deceased loved ones, people, members of their community. And, you know, they're, maybe they're not getting the strength of that person, but they are taking, you know, that person's essence and everything inside of themselves. So yeah, that's a strength in a way. Right. Yeah. Um, and also they're honoring that person by again, allowing them to live within them. Um, and also like you're talking about army hammer, like if they're dropping like fucking flies, it's like everyone's a fucking cannibal from Leonardo da Vinci. Quote unquote, we preserve our life with the death of others in a dead thing. Insensate life remains, which when it is reunited with the stomachs of the living regains sensitive and intellectual life. Ew. I know. And yeah, no. Uh-uh. And he's like, this is like right around the advent because he died in 1519. Unpacking that, that's kind of, again, like a throwback to like, you know, mortuary cannibalism. What he's saying, like, we are able to continue living healthily because we're eating other people. Is that Either it's consuming. Well, so I think it's kind of twofold. Consuming others, right? Like consuming animals, right? Fewer people living, more resources, right? You know, mm-hmm. famine, things like that. Uh, like survival of fittest. But also I think maybe it's mm-hmm. like people who come before you, they're advancing civilizations. We're preserving our life, right? Pre- in a dead thing it's like there's still like you know that essence inside of it um but it's like in this body that's dead it can't do anything and when right. it you know is eaten by somebody then it, it can it now it has the possibility you know to do that it's in a living body now yeah so i mean we, we think back about this and it's like how the fuck but like i was saying before like we don't we we didn't have germ theory until like the 1900s really um, yeah. we didn't really, yeah. Like they saw like the four humors, which is, I believe blood bile. Uh, and I forget what else lymph 
than something else. It's just like, it, and it's like ideas too. And like cures, like I said, you skull for head pains or blood for disease of the blood. And I mean, I guess one of the things that it has been like, I don't know, kind of freaking me out through this is like, like you were saying, we didn't have germ theory. Like were people not like getting diseases from the like blood and other body parts of people? So I know we had, we had STDs and I mean, a lot of it was actually very, like, like syphilis was everywhere. Those things mm-hmm. were happening. So people were a probably already sick, um, but we didn't have HIV yet. For the most part, these people are not consuming brains, right? Then we know that Neanderthals did in that one little thingy, that one yeah. cave group. And obviously in some tribes, they are eating um, nervous tissue. But for the most part, think about what they're eating, you know, bone, blood. Um, I feel like a lot of fat. things like, can be transmitted through blood so that yeah there's only bloodborne pathogens absolutely a thing um but at the same time if somebody's already sick and they, they just didn't mm. you know they didn't get treatment in time right or if you know the, their disease yeah no and it also maybe not all the blood is not all the blood's contaminated right and also think about it they're talking about healthy young people people like they're making sure that it's from like you know yeah. a prime candidate right because clearly they figure it out you need somebody with good life force but you know obviously it's about we've been doing this about, for about 200 years at this point you know this corpse medicine and in like the 1700s at this point you know we have you know medical advancements are happening you know um we don't really need we need to see this right this is when you know more treatments are happening obviously we're not getting the bigger advancements until the 1800s but we're still learning more and more right? Clearly. And we know that technological and scientific advancement tends to be exponential. So even if the curve is still pretty flat, it's still increasing rapidly, relatively, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from what I found, like I said, so in 1910, we still have mummy um, in German pharmacies. I will say in 1847, an Englishman was advised to mix the skull of a young woman with treacle and feed it to his daughter to cure her epilepsy. But apparently it was allegedly without effect. Shocker. Into the late 1800s, there was a belief that you could make a magical candle like in Hocus Pocus from human fat. It's called the thieves candle. And it could stupefy and paralyze a person. What, like if they lit it or if they saw it? I have no idea. And all I could think about was like Shrek making his earwax candle. Ugh, um, but yes. <laughs> yep. Um. So when do you think the last the last cup of blood was drank, swallowed? What do you mean? Like like from uh, execution, right? Oh, so from they called it the scaffold. Yeah. When do you think that happened? Oh my god. I feel one. like I feel like it has to be late because we still had mummies in 1910. I feel like it's gotta be with like the last guillotine execution. <laughs> and that, that was, was in the like, 60s. late. <laughs> in the fucking 60s we're not that I mean. late but it's not that early either so <laughs> oh gosh what i guess maybe i'd say like 1900 1908 baby nice. last, yeah a last known attempt was made in germany you're fucking metal germans god damn that's crazy wait 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 like 1900 <laughs> is not that long ago 19 it's really not we were about Mm-mm. to like Set sail on the Titanic. Like, yeah. I mean, 
Like we're still using the guillotine in the sixties. I mean, granted, I think the guillotine is a little more humane than like lethal injection and it's a lot cheaper. Do you get paid like $15,000 to flip the switch or like to push the injection needle? That's crazy. I mean, and you still wear the fucking hood, the executioner hood. They still do that. Like I wouldn't want to do it, but like, right. Well, that's the thing. I bet it's very hard to Mm -hmm. find someone that wants to. Yeah. Like back in the day, it was like a public service. Like, sure, you're seen as like a dark guy, but like you're doing a deed. Whereas like here, we, I know. Anyway. Um, Gross. So we we talked about, um, you know, Arwen and poor Bound in the beginning of the episode, but let's kind of talk about where we're at today. So even though we're not really eating uh, other people's bodies, we still have organ transplants. We have blood transfusions, uh, but also on that same token, just like they were, you know, taking the skulls of, you know, people they literally just snatch off the streets. Oh, also, I didn't mention this, but uh, many of the skull, like, so, you know, how mummies were, you know, taken out their consent. Yeah. Most skulls were taken from Ireland, actually, because Irish people were considered to be like second, not even second class, like chattel, basically. Yep, just taken and crushed or taken and, like, used to cultivate whatever that stuff was. No, 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 no. But, okay, I I, like, I hear you, like, we're still, like, using people's bodies, but it feels different, right? Like, blood transfusion, we're not eating them. No, we're not eating them. However, and, like, again, like, the science has changed, but the exploitation has not, right? So Mm. many countries have, you know, opt-out systems for organ donation, um, the U.S. does not uh, be an organ donor. You do not need your body after you die, clearly. So consent mm-hmm. to it being used. And the vast majority of bodies that die are not viable for organ transplant. So uh, obviously, I would hope that you don't die prematurely, but, you know, help somebody help many someone's out if you do be an organ donor. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Your parents can still have a funeral that you can still have an open casket funeral after organ harvest. So I have thoughts about embalming, but I digress. Regardless, though, we do still have exploitation of people. The black organ, organ black market is thriving and well. Um, and also with like human trafficking, you know, and people are coerced into selling, you know, kidneys, selling corneas, selling all these awful things. But beyond that, though, one of the biggest, um, biggest contributors of sketchy organs is in China. All executed prisoners are all of their organs are basically farmed. There's almost no wait time to get an organ transplant in China. Uh, It's like you can, yep, you can get one super easily. And many people are just executed because they need more organs. And there's no really records of this. It's a whole thing to unpack. I actually learned about this um, from the When and Crime podcast. And this was mentioned in many of the papers that I read. So it, it... it feels like yeah an organ farm yeah so even though we're not uh eating people anymore you know even though uh like the black the black market thing is most of that for like uh you know like organ transplants or is some of that like driven by like i don't know so medicinal most no so most of it is for organ transplants i mean i don't to my knowledge 
I do not believe that there is a really big thriving market right now. I mean, obviously for like aphrodisiacs, I mean, that's again, like with a rhino horn, things like that come yeah. in. Fun fact, I just learned that they are putting like basically uh pink nail polish on rhino horns and it doesn't hurt the rhino, but it makes them completely uh, worthless for the right. ivory trade. Right. And so I think that's are... so cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. pretty awesome. I love it. And yeah, even though we're not eating the organ anymore, you know, we still are using someone else's, you know, body parts for our own health, you know, for blood transfusions, blood doping is a thing. We're using someone else's vitality. Yeah. Uh, once again, I took a topic that could have been kind of funny and fun and weird, but we kind of sandwiched it with some, oh fuck. Um, (laughs) well, thank you for listening to this decidedly unsexy, unless you are, you know, a murderer episode of hot gas history no this episode was super fun wild okay i feel i had a lot of fun (laughs) okay i had a lot of fun i was like i don't know if ellen's good this is too dark no um no you kept it honestly kept it fun okay good i mean after last week i mean guys i really i love doing this kind of dark stuff i mean like i I don't know. Tell us if you're not a big fan, but I feel like in general, the fact that we're so different with what, like, I'm interested in the stuff that you, you know, you do and whatever, but it wouldn't be the first thing I would think of. Right. Mm. And I love hearing the love stories that you pull out or like someone being a hoe and, or whatever, (laughs) or that, or that even though you guys were not impressed by Jimmy Carter uh, and G sauce, I cackled that entire episode. (laughs) I mean, yeah. So, well, thank you for listening to Hawkeye's history. You can find us on Instagram at Hawkeye's history, and you can email us at Hawkeye's history at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Pat and Alex for our intro and outro music. And as always, I thought you're open. I forgot to say something. 